0: Hey kids, welcome back to On Stage, Off Stage. I'm your host, George Sapio, and this is episode number 128, April 2020. Our guest this month is playwright Anna Munch. and is a colleague whose credits are numerous. I saw her Facebook post a few months back about her play Mothers, which was in production at Playwrights Realm in New York City and got in touch. In addition to her play Mothers, Her other play, Man of God, currently at the time of this interview, is in performance at the Interact Theater in Philadelphia. And will be at the Geffen Theater in Los Angeles in March and April of 2020. She's a busy woman, and we finally managed to eke out a short time to talk. Started out by asking her about her play, Mothers. We've been Facebook friends for a while, and I saw a, um, a notice on your feed about Mothers, which went up last September. And it looked really, really interesting. And that's when I first got in touch with you, I think. And you sent me the script. And, you know, it's it started off pretty benignly. I mean, you know, it's a bunch of moms at a, at a daycare sort of thing. And they're, you know, commenting, sort of commenting, but not really commenting on how each other mother... Tends to their kid, raises their kid. It's the usual stuff. I think you see with with most a lot of moms sometimes in in daycare, um, and then all of a sudden it starts to escalate a little bit, and then it escalates more, and then it keeps on escalating uh, till I get to the end of the play, and I'm wondering why the pages aren't on fire. So, <laughs> um, being a mom yourself, I my first question is where the hell did this come from? <laughs>
1: I mean, I had my son uh months before the twenty sixteen election, and um I was also in grad school full time at the time and um and my we also we were we were living we happened to live right under the um the flight path for the Miramar air Force Base in san Diego. And so, in those sort of really you know i think everybody has it's an intense time early on with a new baby, regardless of what's going on geopolitically yeah. um but it's a, it, it, put, it puts you in a place of um definitely heightened experience of everything around you i think um and you're very sleep deprived and you know it was a it was a really i i think a lot of a lot of people were having a it was a very um for me at least, a very surprising result to that election. And um and embarking on this new journey as a parent where there's so many unknowns about the future. Right. Um, at the same time as embarking on this new administration where I think everybody was a bit at sea about what the future would hold. And I don't know if we've covered from that or on no. that. Yeah. Um you know that that both of those things at the same time um really made me, I don't know. It, it, it began my brain thinking about elements of this play. Um, I mentioned the, us living under the flight path for the air force base, because as in that first year of, uh, of Trump's presidency, pre- presidency, there were increasing tensions with North Korea ratcheting up. Mm-hmm, yeah. And we really noticed an increase in the number of flights from Myanmar. Um, of you know war planes <laughs> right yeah oh yeah. yeah uh you know and and we were constantly there was this feeling for me of like you know it would wake the baby up it was it was a very stressful thing and then also you know in the in the very short term it's more about like getting the baby back to sleep <laughs> that was the major concern but in this larger context you know I, a part of me was thinking are is this one of these could be the start of a war or could be telling telling you know the harbinger of this um yeah you don't know
0: where they're going what disaster. they're carrying them, what their orders are
1: yeah yeah so you know they're they're it could be a train runner it could be it could be real so you don't you just have no idea As someone who just lives under the flight path is just you just hear the planes um and i you know it was there was a night also where i was walking the laundry room is was um a bit of a walk from where my apartment was. And so I was walking back at night from the laundry room and I saw uh, this like strange glowing thing in the sky. Mm. It was, I've never seen anything like it. It truly looked like a a UFO, (laughs) like an alien spacecraft or something. I had no idea what it was. I thought I was maybe hallucinating because of the sleep deprivation. I called sure, my yeah. husband and made him come outside to look at it with me because I was like am I crazy? I think this was like maybe two or three months after my son was born. And he saw it too so I wasn't crazy. And then we figured out, I think that night that it was Elon Musk's SpaceX exploratory rocket ship launch, which oh, looks, I've never, I've just truly never seen anything like it. But anyway, I'll just say yeah. <laughs> all of these things were happening at this time when you know my focus was narrowed to a pinprick of like just what is happening to this little tiny baby in my house <laughs> what, what how, how can we figure out how to keep this kid happy and safe and alive um in the short term and in the small scale but also think starting to think be first to think in this broader scale of um yeah how do you how do you live how do you deal with these early days when you're not in a safe country? I mean, we, we are very fortunate that we, you know, I I think I, I was, I thought of myself as living in this very secure, safe world and secure, safe, or at least secure, safe society or pocket of society in my country. Well, that's what we're all trying to um, think. Yeah. I mean, it kind of lets you put one foot in front of the other to think that and I you know of course that's just not the case for probably most of human history in most places in the world that's right. this is a relatively unique um concept that there is so much security in in life i think and um and so I started thinking more about the idea of mothers you know around the world in other situations in war zones in Uh, living amidst unfolding genocides as uh, in those early months of my son's life as well the Rohingya genocide in Myanmar was um, underway and more and more news coverage of what was happening there was coming out and um, you know it it was one of the ways that I could keep myself awake at night by when I was waking up all the time to breastfeed I was just like staring into my phone because, you know, like they say not to do that because it'll keep you up, but I needed to stay awake sure. so I wouldn't drop my kid. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it was, it was just one of those things that I would, one of these horrible things I would read about at night because there was just nothing, nothing good happening uh, on the, on, on the news at that time. Of yeah. I think a lot of us um, were getting
0: really weirded out by the way things were just going really south really fast.
1: Yeah. 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 But I, I was kind of I, thinking about all of these things together. Um, is part of where this play came from. I was thinking a lot about the dynamics between moms because I was a new mom trying. Mom um, friends. I was in grad school, so I didn't have other friends who had children. So I was actively trying to kind of go out and meet other parents, mainly moms. Um, you know, at meetup groups and stuff. And I felt that I actually didn't the people I was meeting often I just didn't have that much in common with right. or had such different, you know, a New York transplant to San Diego. San Diego is a bit more of a conservative town than than New York is. Um, and I found that things that I thought were funny or just easy to take as fact were, were not necessarily the same baseline that the people around me at these groups thought. And so it was truly like we were from different universes are different planets, um, trying to connect. And so the play kind of begins in that place of looking at those small ways in which, um, parents, moms in particular, but parents in general, you know, we're so concerned with our own. We love our kids so much. That's, that's really what this all comes down to. We love our kids so much. We want the absolute best for them. We want to make all the right choices for them so that we're doing everything possible, everything right to give our kids the life that we want them to have. But of course, you know, we live in a real world where we have to make compromises all the time to be able to just survive and live. And so, um, then, you know, because often we are kind of nervous or unsure of exactly the right thing to do or, um, unwilling to acknowledge that we might not be able to make the perfect choice all the time. Um,
2: and well, give our kids something thing. less
1: than best. Yeah, I mean, yeah it, it, it's, it's very tough, and then time. it makes you very defensive. Yeah, if you don't uh, do this, then you're so not So if other people make a different choice, yeah, yeah, then it, it's an indictment of your choices. Exactly. Um, so anyway, long, long-winded answer. There were a lot of things that all coalesced into writing mothers, um, but I wanted to sort of explore both the micro um, ways in which there are these sociological Things that I was observing around motherhood, but yeah. also I've never felt more, you know, more of a, a creature, more than when I became a mom, you know, giving birth, having breastfeeding, you know, there, there's so many things about it that are very primal. Yeah. And the feelings you feel are very primal feelings. Um, there's definitely something innate and deep lizard brain about that experience. Um well, it certainly changes. So we're trying perspective, to tie right? all of those things together. Yes, yeah. yes. Kind of where where this play came from.
0: I think the, the thing that that struck me the most about mothers um, was the introduction at last, finally, of Gladys, and I'm not going to give any. I'm not going to give anything away. You know, no spoilers mm-hmm. here. But we don't see much of her, and I'm wondering. Okay, well, you know, I'm waiting for her to come into the play. And when she does, everything changes. And we get a perspective that high points everything you've done so far and just just turns it into such a dichotomy of where these mothers have been and what they've never seen and what a lot of women around the world have seen, unfortunately, because Mm -hmm. like you said earlier in this in this uh, interview, we live in a safe place.
1: Yeah. Right. You know?
2: and it's, I mean, you
1: know, the interesting thing on the page is, you know, we, you, you truly visually don't see this, but in a production, Gladys is standing on the stage the entire first act. Um, you know, for people who haven't read the play, Gladys is the, the nanny character who's there at the meetup who yeah. doesn't have, um, she's, not a, she's the only one who's not a parent at this place. And she's there the entire first act and doesn't speak to anybody. Mm. Um, and that's taken from, in part, you know, people I I know who are, are um, nannies. Uh. Um, when I was, I looked after a kid um, in New York on the Upper East Side, briefly, um, who's a, a relative's son. So I was sort of like pitching in family style and helping out. And I picked him up at his very well expensive um school I guess at the time and he wanted to go to the park with his friends and it was all the moms the Upper East Side moms of the other kids and me yeah. and I was like okay you know I can talk to whoever we to the, the park all the moms are talking to each other I sit down with them at a, a picnic table while the kids play at the playground nearby and it was it was truly like I didn't exist I tried to engage with them just as a, a peer yeah, <laughs> but sure. I think they were. They saw me as the help, as the nanny, and I was not part of. It was weird that I think for them it was strange that I sat down with them and tried to talk to them. Um,
0: yeah, like who is this
1: person? I couldn't connect with. Yeah, and, and they, you know, they were talking about like sending their kids to which Swiss Alps, you know, summer camp thing. <laughs> Are they gonna, you know, send their kids to which I'm sure costs <laughs> a fortune. <laughs> Okay, yeah. And I was there trying to scrape together twenty bucks here and there for yeah. <laughs> to pay my rent and put on my plays and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um of course, I yeah. think Davos has it's a, a different
0: program. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: um. But yeah, no, it was it was one of those experiences of realizing, oh, there is this massive class divide that's supported and and inflicted and enacted in different situations and by different people on different people um that i think I, I wasn't that aware of at the time and then by by being amidst it i thought oh wow i'm seeing into something that usually i have the privilege of just not being a part of um and so I, yeah it was it was a it was an eye opening experience for me in that regard and then um and then since then also, you know, my, I'm, I'm multiracial. I look a bit more um, Asian than white, I think. And, um, my son is, is my husband's white and my son looks very white. And there've been many times where I've been assumed to be my sure. son's nanny instead of his mother. Yeah. And, um, you know, personally I find it does not offend me if someone assumes that I know we don't look similar, um, and it doesn't. And there, to me, there's nothing wrong with being a nanny. Like it's not offensive to me to be to have someone assume that that might be my job. I don't mind. <laughs> but what, the times when it's really bothered me is when people do not treat me as an equal until they realize that I'm a I'm a mom. I'm a am like of their class yeah. and and group as opposed to the nanny. Like I, it just that's what really that's when I start to, to, it raises my hackles a bit. Sure, <laughs> um, you know. I, yeah. So anyway, I, I, the character of Gladys is definitely very near and dear to my heart, both in terms of women I've known who have um, filled that role, both in, for me as a child and then also, you know, people I know yeah. um, who do that kind of work. And then also the, the, the few experiences I have had sort of brushing up against what that calling mm-hmm. and the, 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 How difficult it is for women who have young children to have to not only, you know, I think people talk a lot about how hard it is to be a working mom and have to be away from your kids when you're at work in a very upper middle class, upper class kind of way. But actually, you know, the, the lower class women, you know, people who are really struggling in third world countries and have to leave their children at a very young age, not only for the day, but for years. To be able to go and work abroad, to look after other people's children and then send the money home so that their children can have what they need. That is a I mean, that's that's working mom to the extreme. And that, I think, is a big part of Gladys's character is, you know, she is just like these women in terms of navigating how hard it is to be a mom and how hard it is to to survive and support the world. Um, oh, yeah. After I finished so reading yeah, the play a for the second fascinating
0: time, character. yeah, no, she's she's. I, I read the play twice. Um, the second time, just to go through it a lot more slowly, because I found myself the first time just reading it quickly because I was so caught up in what was happening. I, I had to get to the end to see what was going on, and yeah. I'm not quite sure I. I'm happy I did that, but um, I came to see the play as Gladys's, and that's weird because. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stage time, she, she clearly doesn't have the amount of, of, of time that many of the other characters do, but it all comes down to Gladys, and I found myself absolutely transfixed by her character. And yeah, her, yeah, know.
1: I see it as her play as well. <laughs> it's funny you, you found that too. I, I, I've i always thought that she is the shadowy protagonist of this play.
0: Yeah, well, she, she's the voice of, of truth, and it's... A horrible, horrible truth. Um, Yeah. So tell me what the audience reactions were to this play. Because it's not something you can just walk out of benignly.
1: (laughs) No. (laughs) This is one of those plays where I actually don't love talking to people after it. I wonder why. (laughs) Yeah, it's really, I mean yeah, you don't feel okay after you watch (laughs) mother. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't leave you feeling, feeling great. I mean, to me, I find, I find the statement of the play to be one of just the, the power of the love that people have for their children. That, that to me is, is, it is like any kind of strong force. It can be wonderful and it can be horrible. It just depends on the circumstances. Um, and so to me I don't see it as as like an, an you know punishing message it's it's I I'm it's really written from my point of view of becoming a mother and just being blown away by the force of what I felt what I felt mm-hmm. um okay. and sort of realizing like with fresh eyes looking at the world around me that this force is at work all around us all the time and I was kind of blind to it before I became a parent and that was to me really eye opening. I'm sure other people have this realization, you know, I don't think you have to have children to to realize it, but for me that's what I that that's when I realized it. Um well, and so it helps, but yeah, so I, I think yeah. yeah, of course, first person experience as anything. Sure, always helps. But um but yeah, I I think, you know, people see this play and they are it is really um It's a roller coaster. I think, you know, you start in one place, you start thinking it's kind of a biting satire, kind of funny, uh, you know, commentary on upper middle class motherhood. And then uh, the play doesn't really let you go. (laughs) So you don't have much chance to reorient yourself and you're kind of brought on this journey into a pretty dark place that maybe you weren't expecting. And I think some people go to the theater hungry for that kind of surprise. and some people don't and I don't know that either of those things is is wrong it's just what you know we go to the different to the theater for different reasons and that's okay and I I feel like I want to be surprised I want to be brought on a journey I wasn't necessarily expecting I you know I want to be transported and to be made to feel really strong feelings so when I write I try to do that um for my audience and I think that can go over really well with some people, and it does. And it can really be yeah. tough on some people, and it <laughs> is. I'm, I'm, I'm with so, you on uh, this. Yeah. I,
0: I like to go to the theater, and I like to come out with plenty to think about and new perspectives to to mull over. Um, I, I like my little status quo to be boinked a little bit. Um, yeah, which is not to take away from other things like we just we just saw Come From Away, which. Is a completely different animal as to what you're talking about, and people come out of Mm -hmm. that feeling good, and they're humming the songs, and I'll bet they're not coming into your play. Yeah, you know that's that's it's a (laughs) wonderful thing. That's part of what theater is, and but you know I I, I'm with you. I kind of like to go into something, show me something, teach me something, Um, make make me feel that I'm learning something or getting a new perspective in this world. Hey, kids, thanks for tuning in to On Stage, Offstage. I'm your host, George Sapio, and this is episode number 128, April 2020. Our guest this month is playwright Anna Munch, whose play Mothers was produced at Playwrights Realm in New York City this last September 2019. And her play Man of God, which will be at the Geffen Theater in Los Angeles in March and April of 2020. We're talking about both plays, as well as the questions raised by those plays about living in the not-quite-so-safe, much-disquieting modern world.
1: And I think it's great to have, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've sort of put some thought into this about what kind of, you know, because it's, as an artist, I think everyone wants People to be to have a good experience seeing your work and to come up to you afterwards and say that they had a good time yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? like everyone wants that but at the same time when I'm writing I I I'm trying to get at something in the world or I'm trying to grapple with things that I don't understand or I'm astonished by or am angered by. And so the work that I write, if I'm left to my own devices, is not necessarily the stuff that's gonna make a theater going audience who,
2: yeah.
1: you know, let's face it, is of a certain, you know, racial and socioeconomic group, a lot of the time, yeah. isn't necessarily gonna make that group of people feel good. And so I am kind of making my peace with the fact that you know, when people come to see my work, it's not necessarily going to result in a lot of like pass on the back afterwards for <laughs> me. <laughs> yeah, probably not. And not it might Disney. make people angry, and it, yeah. and they might, you know, and, okay. and when people kind of get uncomfortable, then they can kind of say, you know, dismissive things about the piece. Hmm. Um, which, but you have to write yeah, what's again. True to I you. understand that too. <laughs>
0: yes. I mean, but if you wrote something else and it wasn't what you needed to write, you'd be doing a disservice to everyone.
1: Yeah, I think so. And fortunately for everybody on the planet, not everybody has to program my plays all the time. Right. (laughs) So there's many other options for what people can see. There are, but there, you know,
0: programming your plays would certainly not be a waste of time. I mean, you don't stay away from the macabre, and I'm, I'm, I I want to move into, with this very clumsy segue, um, to your uh, current play now, Man of God, which is at uh, mm-hmm. Interact Theatre in Philadelphia, and going to the Geffen. Congratulations on that. Thank
2: and you.
0: yeah. Yeah, the, the uh, synopsis I, I read of it for Korean-American teenage girls are on a mission in Bangkok. They discover a hidden camera in their hotel bathroom. And first thing I thought was, oh, ick, it's... Yeah. Yeah, and you do make yeah. the point that they are all four different, and they have different reactions. And, I mean, that is such a uber-creepy subject, um, which kind of reminds me of your other play, Sin Eaters, which is also where you see pretty much the worst in everyone between... The technology that's being employed, and you know, who's watching what, and how mm-hmm. low do we go as a species? So, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's rehearsing now at the Geffen, correct?
1: Correct, yeah.
0: How's that going?
1: It's going great, it's really going well. Um, yeah, it premiered uh, about a year ago at East West Players here in LA, and um, and then. I think is uh, still running or finished up its run soon at Interact. And then um, we'll open in March at the Geffen. And yeah, it's a play that I think I, I sometimes you just, the thing that you've been thinking about happens to hit the public conversation at the right time. <laughs> it was one of those. Um, I wrote this play before the Harvey Weinstein scandal broke and the Me Too movement really took off. Yeah. Um, and it happens to be really about that um subject and so i think you know there's a lot of interest in the play because it feels very timely um but it you know it was one of those just one of those fortuitous things where it wasn't like i was like oh the me too movement let me write my me too play but it it ha- you know i happened to have just written it when all of that started um but yeah no i i it actually was <laughs> The, a lot of the things that I put into my plays are these like horror, horrible things or <laughs> creepy things that are I'm reacting to because I've. It's not like I come up with
2: it. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> like, no, believe me, it's it's all around us. You don't have to look very far yeah. to find this kind no. of subject matter. It's literally being rubbed in our faces.
1: Yeah, and I actually a friend had I was I was grappling with writing something about. The male gaze about you know sexual abuse and um, harassment and of 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 girls of kids, um, you know teenagers, but but you know minors <laughs> um, and younger too. And and I that was something that I I wanted to write about was trying to find the right way in. She me, she's a Korean American. She's a Korean American Christian in the Southern California area, and she. Told me about this incident where a group of college uh, kids went on a mission trip with their college c- Christian group um, to, I believe, Cambodia, and discovered that their group leader had put a camera in their bathroom.
2: Oh, lovely!
1: And um, yeah, so it's it's inspired by a true story. It was I looked into it. There was very limited inf- information about it um, available, which I think is. Very telling uh, of the culture that we live in where this happens and it's really successfully kept quiet. Um, there's some euphemism, you know, laden statements if you really do some digging and confined, but that's about it. And um, and so I, I very much, I'm not, I don't know the people who are involved in that. I'm not trying to speak. F- but I wrote this play about a group of high school kids on this mission trip, really, you know, from my own experience of being a girl at, you know, at that age. Sure. Um, and that time I went to an all girls high school. And so I remember that dynamic of being amidst all girls. It's, it's a very freeing, especially at that time of life, I found it to be a very freeing experience because every kind of archetype, every Every, you know, the leader, the follower, the jock, the smart kid, the nerd, all, you know, any of those kinds of high school tropes, all of them are girls when you're at an all girls school. So, you know, you, you see, you really feel the full um, space that girls can take up when they're given the room to take it up. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, remember being at that age and my friends and I just, fear, you know, and spending all the time together and really putting together our understanding of the world and testing theories and trying out identities and arguing with each other about why this was a certain way or how it should be, all of these things. And then, um, so the play really is about, it takes place after they discover the camera. The camera's already discovered before the play begins. And the whole play takes place between that moment of discovery and the moment where, um, where the pastor comes into the room, um, and they face him. And I was thinking a lot about times when I have heard friends' stories of sexual abuse, rape, any kinds of um, trauma of that sort, and remembering that kind of even, I would say I have a pretty, I really try to side with the victim, and not, you know, not blame. Yeah, sure, yeah. Um, but, but your first reaction usually is to put yourself in their shoes from a position of real safety where you're not in their shoes. You're mm-hmm. sitting, you know, someone who's never experienced that. And you're imagining on your best day from a place of total safety and, and with in your own mind <laughs> how you would have reacted in that situation. And then somehow applying that logic to the person who might have been a child at the time. Um, and expe- and wondering why they didn't do this or that, tell their parents, call the police, report it to a teacher. You know, all of those. Why did they stay quiet? All why didn't they say options. this yeah, or that sure. person? Yeah. yeah, which is very human to do that, but at the same time, it's not the right thing to do. And um, and so I think uh, the the play, you know, each of the kids who um, has this is kind of their first experience realizing that this. Male gaze has kind of been upon them for a long time. Right. Um. They each have a a kind of revenge fantasy of what they're going to do when they see Pastor, and you know they're all kids, so it's all rooted in the different media they consume, different movie genres or TV genres. You know, one of them has a. They've been been acquainted with. That's how they express. Yeah, like that's how we. Those are the narratives and how we we base you know our imaginations, Um, and so. I think that they, you know, there's this trope of the strong, strong female lead, and she acts like a, an action superhero, like a man. You know, like that's sure. not how, like teenage girls can act when they're facing their predator. <laughs> it's not realistic. And the one kid who has already experienced um, some significant trauma in that regard does not have one of those fantasies because she doesn't have a fantasy about this. She knows Mm. that the power dynamic is what it is. And she's actually the one at the end who can kind of take a small step toward rebellion. Um, you know, and still, I, it, it, I didn't write her having like a full, um, dressing down of this man or a, you know, big victory. But to me, a small step of rebellion and a small standing up to power when you're 15 is, is kind of the, to me, the light you know, at, at the end of the tunnel, mm-hmm. you know, I think all of my teens and twenties were growing up and making these kinds of mis- not mistakes, but like experiencing these kinds of things and then realizing, Oh, I am now better equipped to handle those situations. And I think now that I'm, you know, in my mid thirties, I, I see it. I, I, I recognize those signposts a lot sooner than I did when I was 15. And so I'm able to, Sooner, And I feel more confident in myself sooner to be able to say like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to head this off at the pass or, yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm sure, you know, there's still circumstances in which I will find myself where it's going to be, um, a power dynamic that, that makes it difficult to do that. But, sure. um, it's, it's still a, yeah, it's, it's an ongoing thing of, of learning and you kind of have to just go, go through it and not do the thing that makes everybody like applaud and seem like you seem like an action hero. <laughs> well, we <laughs> a ha- bunch we have to go
0: with what we've been taught and what we've seen as role models, and that's one of the I think one of the huge problems these days is that we are getting the world's worst role models because, at least in this country, a lot of these role models respond with violence and. Yeah. You know, it seems to be the quick and, you know, final solution to do whatever is threatening you. Um. You And even if it isn't violence, it's something else. And you can only respond by what you've been shown already might work or what you think might work. Yeah. And it's very hard to... And it's
1: just not realistic to say, okay, well, like, just, you know, kick him in the balls. It's like, well... (laughs) There's already a power dynamic. There's already yeah. a, a physical power dynamic in addition to the social power dynamic. There's, there's consequences. You can't just kill someone. Like it's not. We don't live in some
0: no, we don't. John Wick movie. <laughs> we don't. I mean, and, and the lessons we're getting from the Weinstein cases and the Trump cases, you know, it's, it's not heartening. Yeah. It's definitely not.
1: No, no. <laughs> no, it's amazing. It's truly, truly amazing how many women's voices still stack up to yeah. one man's voice if he has enough power. I mean, it's just amazing. It is when I think like you can't get Eddie, like this is just too far, you know, like following the Weinstein thing. It's like, okay, well, obviously this is such a, it's so obvious what happened. It's right. so obvious that she, Surely. <laughs> uh-huh. But no, I mean, it's now still in question. People are who knows what's going to happen in this trial. I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's,
0: it's disgusting is what it is. Let's let's switch over. Um, in addition to playwriting, you also work in TV staffing and development, I believe. Um, as another f- part of the whole, you know, artistic media experience going from work on stage creating work on stage to being a part of the television machine I don't really mean that in a bad way but I mean it is a huge machine um Mm -hmm. yeah staffing and development so what's what's that all about
1: well I mean I think you know as we were we were discussing it's earlier it was um we were saying, you know, talking about day jobs. Yeah. But I, I think I've spoken to a couple of playwrights recently or, you know, early career playwrights and um and I'm pretty frank, I think that it's helpful to hear about the financial realities of this business. <laughs> and I think when I was starting out, I just had no re- idea of how difficult it is to make a living as a just as a playwright, a working playwright. Um that like everyone um, at all levels has some kind of day job and sure they might be awesome day jobs and writing. It's like teaching or running rather running a pro- prestigious program, an MFA program or something. Um, or if it's writing in TV and film or if it's in some other industry altogether, most playwrights, you know, 90.9% of us, I think have another job. And so for me, um, I'm very fortunate in that my, my, the day job I've carved out for myself is writing related. And it's, it's even, you know, writing characters and dialogue and story related. It's not even like I have to be writing something completely different. Um, I'm really, really lucky for that. I love, I love doing it. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's the, for me, you know, I, I'm, I write my first project, my first, you know, paid, um, I guess like Hollywood project was uh, adapting a book for, as a screenplay. Um and so I that was my first gig and it was um it was a really challenging and really fun experience. I'd never adapted anything before, but I kind of went through the pitching process on this project and I got hired and did that job and then you know the interesting thing about working in TV and film versus theater is in theater Sure, the paychecks are a lot less, but you contain you retain control over everything you write. Um, a lot less. it's yours. <laughs> you get a paychecks? How,
0: how, do you, how do you do this? Please tell me your secret. How do you get paychecks?
1: Well, you have to, you know, really set the bar pretty well for what you constitute a paycheck. <laughs> you know, I I think I have like a maybe two published like short plays, two or three, and um and so other year, I'll get like a royalty check for like twenty dollars or
0: something. I just got a royalty <laughs> it's check. Just, it said zero on it.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah, this is what I was born to do. I'm telling you. Yeah, you spend years writing these things and work developing them, and then yeah, yeah. so you get a day job. But, huh? um, Fancy that? But yeah, so exactly, you get a day job. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I I think that the um that then. After that, I started uh, going out for staffing, so that means writing, you know, writer's rooms to write someone else's TV show. Mm -hmm. Um, I got really lucky, got a great job with a great group of people, and um, worked on a show that I really was excited about and enjoyed the process so much, and that was, um, it's called Severance, and it's going to be on Apple TV, and I think they're shooting, starting this spring. Nice. Congrats. Um, so it's going to be a little way still. But yeah, yeah. it's it's going to be a great show. It's a really fun premise. And yeah, it's, it was great. And so then um, after that, I I got pregnant toward the end of my time in that room and, um, and then headed to New York to open Mothers. So I'm having my second baby in March. Hey, congrats. <laughs> and, Wonderful. Uh, yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's going to be great. Um, but it also means that I can't quite swing the hours of being a staff being, you know, on a writing staff. Yeah. Um, and it, it just made staff, the staffing process more difficult because anyone hiring me just knows that I'm going to drop off the face of the earth for a little while starting in March. Yeah. So, uh, well, yeah, you well. know, even though it's one of those things where like it technically you're not supposed to consider that when you're hiring, but when you're hiring a room that only meets for 20 weeks and someone's going to be gone for half of it. I think it's probably hard for that to not enter into your thinking, which I understand, but it may pivot toward development, um, which means more, um, that I, I'm writing my own stuff. I'm pitching on, uh, you know, adapting other, um, IP like novels, um, to Mm -hmm. television. And, um, And, yeah, so I was working on a lot of pitches for a long time and then got um, I very quickly, like kind of in quick succession, um, sold too. So now I'm developing um, a pilot with HBO and a pilot with E1 and just trying to – one of them is original, one of them is an adaptation. And that process is is very interesting too because you're trying to – you're really building the whole show from the ground up with a focus on the pilot is the way to kick off the whole right. series because hopefully once it, hopefully it'll pick up and then you'll hire a writer's room and then you'll really develop and write the whole yeah first season and forward. Um, You're a busy person. Yeah. So it's a very interesting process. Yes. Yeah. I am. And know, it's yeah. doing all this
0: writing all this stuff, being pregnant and raising a kid and wow. There's only one of you, right?
1: (laughs) I do have an awesome husband, so I that I consider him part of it. He um, he's going back to school at the moment, and uh, he so you know right now he's he's his goals are to work in nursing, so he's um, finishing up his prereqs and yeah yeah wonderful for him. Very good skill to have in a partner. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I'm very excited.
0: Nurses are, are my holiest of holy professions. So Yeah, yeah. it's an
1: amazing calling. Yeah, yeah absolutely.
0: And I really
1: hate to cut this
0: off because I'm having so much fun right now, but, and I know you have places to go and things to do, but uh, this has been absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for being a guest. Before Thank we you, say goodbye, George. please tell um, my audience where we can find out more about you, and tell us where you're published so people can read this wonderful stuff you create.
1: Oh, yes. I, well, <laughs> I am, I don't have much internet presence. I do have a whole site. It's com. Okay. And Munch is M-O-E-N-C-H. And um, I, I... Yeah, I don't really, I'm not really on Facebook that much. Yeah, you know, you've had trouble I reaching me. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm
0: You're busy, terrible. it's fine. <laughs>
1: um, but yeah, I'm not on Twitter, I'm not really on Instagram or any of those things, so I don't, I don't know. Um, okay. But I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm around 100 in the world. <laughs>
2: That's good enough. And
1: my plays have a, a couple of my short plays have been published um, as part of different like anthologies. But um, they're, they're mostly plays for young audiences. But I think one of them is at Play Scripts, one of them is at Sam French, one of them is at Vintage Books. And then um, and that's it so far. So, you know, people want to publish my full length, let me know. <laughs>
0: yeah, let me know because I'd love
1: to oh, see and, Oh, I put stuff on on NPX, on the new play exchange. Oh, well, the, of course.
0: Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. yeah.
1: So I'm sure a lot of people are on there. So, yeah, my stuff's there. And Sounds that's good. Well, once you're once
0: you're on there <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> hey thanks again so much and <laughs> thank you George good luck with everything hey kids thanks for listening to On Stage Off Stage On Stage Off Stage is produced monthly and all of our shows can be found at onstageoffstage.org and also on iTunes if you enjoy what we do please recommend us to your friends don't forget to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at onoffstage. And if you are a theater artist with an upcoming project of interest or work in a part of theater we haven't covered yet or know of someone in the theater world who'd make some great chat, please send us a note at info at onstageoffstage.org. Onstage Offstage believes in and advocates for a world where all people are free to live their lives as they wish, in peace and without fear. We believe in universal respect, diversity, and equality in all areas of life for all people no matter what their nationality, race, religion, age, sexual status, or gender. Onstage Offstage will never promote or endorse those who seek to diminish others because of who they are. I'm George Sapio. Thank you once again, and happy theatering to all of you.